0: You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.
1: Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and the creator of the website miraclehunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Now today's program should be pretty interesting. Uh, we're going to be covering a topic that is quite controversial. It's not uncommon for people from similar faith backgrounds to have very different views on this. We'll be talking today about near-death experiences, also known as NDEs. As many as 8 million Americans have reported these occurrences, and some people, including scientists, seem to suggest that they offer proof or insight into the afterlife. Now, there are historical records of NDEs going back as far as the 3rd century, with the story of St. Saturus, who is a 3rd century Christian martyr. Saturus recorded this ecstatic experience shortly before he was brutalized by wild animals and then killed by gladiators in celebration of Emperor Geta's birthday in the year 209. His account can be found in The Passion of St. Perpetua, St. Felicitas, and their companions, which is one of the very oldest of Christian texts. On today's program... We'll be discussing two modern accounts of near-death experiences. First, we'll be interviewing Judy Klein, author of the book Miracle Man, which recounts the story of the near-death experience of her husband. And then we'll be turning our attention to the book and film hitting the theaters, which has become somewhat of a phenomenon. We'll be interviewing Devin Franklin, the lead studio executive on the film Heaven is for Real. They'll give us a little background on that story and update us on how the film is doing in the box office. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today in our segment 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook 365 days with Mary. Of course, the big news from this week was the double canonization of two 20th century popes, St. John Paul II and St. John the twenty third. There was an estimated 800,000 people, including 6,000 priests, 150 cardinals, 700 bishops who were in attendance in the streets of Rome on April 27th to see these two popes um, well, to see the two popes, Pope Francis and retired Benedict the Sixteenth, can celebrate the mass honoring the canonization of two of their predecessors, Saints John Paul II and John the Twenty Third. Pope Francis uh, had a quote. He described in his homily. He talked about Saint John the Twenty Third as the Pope of openness to the Spirit, and he called Saint John Paul II the Pope of the Family. Each of these descriptions were followed by great applause. Pope Francis also underlined the deep faith of his two predecessors. Um, These were two men of great courage, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they bore witness before the Church and the world into God's goodness and mercy. To keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week, I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the correct answer. This week, as in past weeks, we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled Faces of Mary. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. You can go to MiracleHunter.com and see the image there on the homepage. Uh, trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia. It's an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. And for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. And we always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program, and of course, uh we have those great canonizations that just happened. So here's a question about popes. St. John Paul II was the third longest reigning pope behind St. Peter, and what other pope? So here's that question again. St. Saint Saint John Paul II was the third longest reigning pope behind St. Peter, and what other pope? For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now, each week we do this segment uh, entitled 365 Days with Mary. And for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, uh, there's a Marian title, a feast, a commemoration of Our Lady that's being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year. Now, I've compiled all the dates with their feasts and collected them into one resource, 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, and a history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information and links for people wanting to see those places in person. The project's available in print in the form of a daily engagement calendar or planner, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you can automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. Be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and visit the website, 365dayswithmary.com, to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift with anyone, for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady, Today's commemoration is the miracle of the Blessed Virgin of Ghiara from Reggio Emiliana, Italy. The story goes like this. In 1569, a devoted citizen of Reggio, Ludovico Pratisole, he commissioned the famous painter Lelio Orsi to create a drawing depicting, depicting the virgin and child. In fact, it's sort of a representation of an image that was on the wall of the garden of the fathers of the servants of Mary, which had been there in Reggio um, since 1313, uh, had been an old picture, became illegible, uh, so uh, he wanted to do a recreation of it. On April 29th, 1596, sometime later, the first miracle took place. Uh, the intercession of the Blessed Virgin um, was seen by those by someone who was praying before that image. He was a young 17-year-old, uh, named Marcino, and he was a native of Castelnuovo de Monte. Um He was deaf and mute from birth, and but after praying to Our Lady under this title, he obtained the ability to speak and to hear. Now, this miraculous event caused a remarkable excitement amongst the faithful there, and they also began pilgrimages and brotherhoods devoted to this image. Bishop Claudio Ragoni, He began the canonical process with great care and took the documents to Pope Clement VIII, who approved the miracle. And you can see that in a letter from July 29, 1596, in the Sacred Congregation of Rites, in which pilgrimages were also organized. And that was today's feast. Be sure to visit the project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online at 365dayswithmary.com to find out more. About the green scapular devotion or any of the hundreds of other devotions listed on the site. We'll open our email mailbag and find out if we have any questions. So here's a question of for today. Dear Miracle Hunter, what does the recent statement about the alleged visionary Maria Divine Mercy mean for the faithful? Thank you, John. Thank you, John, for this important question. For those not familiar, an Irish woman nicknamed Maria Divine Mercy has allegedly been receiving locutions from God and promoting them on her website and in her books. Her claim to fame has been her quote-unquote accurate prediction of the of Pope Benedict leaving the papacy. Now this one prediction has been mired in many strange and controversial other predictions, which have been proven false. Uh, there had been no official statement previously, but the Diocese of Dublin released a statement last week. And that statement reads like this. Request for clarification has been coming to the Archdiocese of Dublin concerning the authenticity of alleged visions and messages received by a person who calls herself Maria Divine Mercy and who may live in the Archdiocese of Dublin. Archbishop Djamud Martin wished to state that these messages and alleged, alleged visions have no ecclesial approval and many of the texts are in contradiction with Catholic theology. These messages should not be promoted or made use of within Catholic Church associations. Needless to say, uh, we are required by obedience, and some might argue common sense, to steer clear of this alleged mystic and her visions. But thank you for the question, John. If you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, please email questions at miraclehunter.com. And each week, we're going to select a question to be read on the show. So definitely send us your questions. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Eight million people in America have been claiming to have had a near-death experience, also known as an NDE. And that was a term coined in 1975, by physician Raymond Moody. NDE patients tell very similar tales. They talk about a dark tunnel, a white light, a review of their life, and visions of unearthly worlds and maybe even saintly beings. They also claim to have out-of-body experiences where they can view themselves from a distance and observe events that they shouldn't even be able to see. It's enough to have made non-Christian philosopher Robert Robert Almader to theorize that humans must have extrasensory perception or clairvoyance. And at the very least, he concludes, NDEs go a long way towards legitimizing belief in an afterlife. Our first guest today is Catholic theologian and founder of Memorare Ministries, Judy Klein. Radio Maria listeners might recognize her as the former co-host of the Apologetics Live program for four and a half years. She is the author of Miracle Man, which recounts the near-death experience of her husband and how the event affected their lives of faith. Thanks for thanks for coming on the program, Judy. It's good to have you here.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be back on Radio Maria.
1: Good. Now, that's exciting. Now, you had a program on Radio Maria for four and a half years. Can you tell us a little bit about what that program was?
2: I did. It was an Apologetics Live program. In fact, it's still hosted by Jimmy Sagers out of Louisiana, and he uh, takes questions and teaches... Uh, biblical basis for the Catholic faith, and that's what we were talking about for those four and a half years. So it was wonderful. I loved it.
1: Great. Um, Now, that's great to have you back on, and and I'm sure people recognize your voice, who are dedicated listeners to Radio Maria. Um, Now, now today, uh, on today's program, we're talking about near-death experiences as the theme of the show, and you've written an amazing book um, that, that goes back and talks about an experience that your husband had. Uh, can you can you take us back to uh, what inspired you to write the book and, and, and the events that, that led to the writing of Miracle Man?
2: Well, Bernie suffered a massive heart attack. They called it the Widowmaker on December 23, 2008. And long story short, he wound up going into multiple organ failure, and they didn't think he was going to make it through the night. And he spent six weeks in a coma in, in organ failure and came back miraculously and was able after six weeks in a, in a deep coma on the verge of death to tell me that he had had a near-death experience. And so I asked him what happened. He said, do you want to hear about my near-death experience? And I, of course, did. And he told me about it, and I was pretty surprised at what occurred, and that's what I share in the story in the book Miracle Man.
1: Sure. And um, what, what can you tell us about what he described that he saw when he sat you down and said, let me tell you about my experience what, in fact, did he relate to you that he had seen in, in this experience?
2: Well, let me say that I suspected that he had died one night because um, they shocked his heart three times to keep him alive. I suspected he may have ha- had a, a very intense prayer experience around that night that I, I thought he may have gone to have an encounter with our Lord. And basically what he told me was that he, had, he said, I died, and I know it, and I saw myself, I saw my spirit leave my body. And I was looking down on my body from up above, and I could see my wounded heart. And he said that I saw that my heart was torn. It looked like it was torn in two. And half of my heart was beautiful gold, and it represented all of the things I had done in my life that were pleasing to God. And the other half of my heart was dark blue, like an ugly debris. And he said, I I knew that it represented all of the things I had done in my life that were pleasing to God, and he had it, and he experienced an interior struggle of which side of his heart to go toward. He wanted to go toward the the gold side, and yet he kept being pulled back toward the dark side. And finally, he had to make a decision, and he did. And when he did, he said he went toward the light, and he followed the light all the way to heaven. And then he said, when I got to heaven, I wasn't permitted to enter. Which was a huge surprise, frankly, because this was a man, even though he, he was a... a Cradle Catholic, but what you would call a nominal Catholic or a cultural mm-hmm. Catholic more than anything. And so he always insisted he didn't, he knew he was going to heaven because he was, quote unquote, a good person. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't worried whether he was going to heaven. So he said he wasn't permitted to enter heaven and he was sent back by God. And he started going toward the dark side of his heart. And he said, And Judy, when I did, I met the most unimaginable creatures. They were hideously ugly. And they had tusks coming out of their heads, and they were screaming in his ears, we're here to help you, we're here to help you, and beating him up and um, ramming things in all of the orifices of his body, and he was terrified and screaming, please, this isn't the kind of help that I need. And I said, how did you resolve it? He said, I surrendered to God, and when I did, I was given food, air, and water, and i mm. had so much peace. And then he said, I was told by God to go back and to make amends for my life, to make amends with, with God, my life, and the people in my life, and this is my purification, and I need it. So he spent six more weeks in the ICU in critical condition, on the verge of death, before he eventually succumbed to an infection and died on March 15, 2009. Mm. But, yes, it was an amazing story, and I I did have an experience of him, you know, and it was, I I felt his presence, and this all sounds a little crazy, unless you've ever had an experience like this after someone dies, but I felt uh, a sense of his presence, and I felt what felt like, when I thought his name out loud the day after he died, um, I felt what felt like gold dust shimmering from the top of my head to the tips of my toes, and I said to myself, I said out loud, Bernie, you're in heaven, and when I did, I was filled with inexplicable joy, and believed that God um, allowed that purification to occur, and and indeed took him home to heaven.
1: Wow, well, that's an amazing story, and uh, I know that image that you describe of the split heart—that's on the cover of the book. Um, that's a, that's a great explanation of, of that image. And what what did it mean for you to um, to have? To have this story uh, with your husband, what? How did that change your life in any way?
2: Well, for one thing, it convinced me of the power of prayer. I had, um, we had married young, and at the actually at the time, I was an evangelical Christian, and I came back to the Catholic Church um, through Medjugorje, through Our Lady's messages in Medjugorje. And I so this is a, a man I had been. We were married almost twenty five years, and I'd been praying the whole twenty five years for his conversion, pretty frantically, <laughs> and. So, you know, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and God demonstrated to me in, in various ways, which I tell through the book, the incredible power of prayer, not to give up on praying for the conversion of others. And, and often we don't see the answer to that prayer this side of heaven. And, you know, I was given the great grace of seeing my husband's deathbed conversion and, and his beautiful acceptance of his suffering and a beautiful acceptance of a relationship with the Lord. So that was the first thing that it taught me. And, you know, the second thing that it taught me, when you go through a lot of suffering, which I describe in detail in my book, we had been through a lot of suffering in our lives in a short period of time, and and it can leave you feeling, reeling, really, uh, like, what is all this about, God? You know, um, it can expose deeper issues of trust with God, of, you know, really, God, are you out to get me, or are you, in fact, working all of these things out for my good? And so I learned through this experience how beautifully and tenderly, and particularly and personally, God works the details out of our lives, even and especially in the midst of intense suffering, for our redemption, our sanctification, and our salvation. Which was a powerful lesson.
1: Absolutely, and um, I you, obviously you wrote the book uh, to to get the story out there to the world. Uh, what kinds of reactions were you uh, have you encountered when sharing the story with others?
2: Well, first of all, I've been shocked at the reaction to the book, because I I felt the the Holy Spirit, you know, tell me to write the book and lead me in that direction, and I I hemmed and hawed about it, and finally I said yes to God. And what I'm finding out, you know, I've been shocked that people, um, so many people have written or called or emailed or texted me to say they couldn't put the book down. And part of it is because I think it resonates with their own pain and their own suffering, and the hope that's offered through the story in the midst of intense suffering. But also I think it confirms to people there is something beyond this life, and and we, do really, we really are accountable for the lives we live. You know, in Catholic theology, unlike Protestant theology, we don't teach that we're saved by faith alone, and we pray this one prayer, and bam, we're assured our salvation, and that's it. You know, we believe that we're judged on our works, and though we cannot work our way to heaven... We do work out our salvation in fear and trembling with the grace of God, cooperating with God's grace, and our works are judged at the end of our life. And so, you know, I think it's an important lesson that needs to be restated today. Um, number one, we don't get to heaven because we believe we're a good person. You know, we get to heaven through the merits of Jesus Christ, who has died on the cross for our sins, and, and through faith in Christ. Um, but we don't get to heaven through faith alone, either. We, we really are accountable for the lives we live. And love holds us accountable for our lives. So I think all of those messages are important, and they seem to have resonated with my readers.
1: That's, that's great. And for those for those just joining the program, you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. Uh, we're talking today with author Judy Klein. Now, Judy, I know you've, uh, you're have you the founder of Memorari Ministries, which can be found at MemorariMinistries.com. Can you tell us a little bit about that and tell us if uh, the experience with your husband relate, uh, related to you founding this ministry, or was that something done previously?
2: Absolutely. I, um, I founded Memorari Ministries because, Bernie, one prayer that he prayed, even though he didn't really have a relationship with Jesus, he had a devotion to Our Lady because of his mother, who was a very beautiful, devout Catholic woman who prayed the rosary for him every single day of his life. And so he prayed the Memorari, especially in the last few years of his life. That was the only prayer he prayed. And when he first had his heart attack and was told that his organs were shutting down, and I came to the hospital, he said, Judy, I've been praying the memorari day and night, and all I can see every time I close my eyes is the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Well, amazingly, he went into multiple organ failure and then had this near-death experience and came back to tell me about it. But after this encounter with what I would call the illumination of his own soul, he started to say, all I can see is the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And ultimately, if and you got to get the book to read the whole story, but the, Jesus leads him to the Father, who who gives him his blessing before he finally dies, which is an amazing gift. But Our Lady, I learned, you know, personally, and he learned in this episode that she doesn't lead us away from Jesus; she leads us to Jesus. And I think the trajectory that he experienced of Our Lady praying the memorari and having Our Lady lead him to jesus and then having jesus lead him to the father is the trajectory of our faith and so i have a great devotion to our lady i came back to the catholic church as i said um an anti-catholic who did not understand the teaching of the church on mary but i can't i heard the messages of medjugorje and came back through the, the messages of our lady and i really believe that you know i've learned personally and i think it's something we need to explain to people in detail that Our Lady leads us to Jesus, and she can't lead us away from Jesus. And so I have a, a, a devotion to her, and I name my ministry after her, Memorari Ministries.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and um, I, think, I think your story is inspiring, and many people are going to want to read the book, um, Miracle Man. Where can people find the book? What's the best place for people to get a hold of the book and read it for themselves?
2: The best place is on my website. MemorareMinistries.com is just like the prayer, M-E-M-O-R-A-R-E, Ministries.com. And that's um, that, that'll that tell you all about my ministry, and I do come and speak. I, I was trained in theology, um, and I've also been trained in bioethics. So I like to, you know, go around to different parishes and, and, and share stories about the Catholic faith and teach the faith. Um, this moment that we're in this new evangelization of the church and the world which you know we, were, we saw the canonization of John Paul II on Sunday which was a thrill mm-hmm. but this is part of the fruit of his ministry is is bringing the new evangelization to the church and to the world and 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 so that is my goal with my ministry um, and of course he had a great devotion to our lady who, you know, saved his life in that moment when he was it was that attempted assassination when the bullet hit the miraculous medal instead of you know going into his heart and killing him. So we um we have lots to say about this exciting moment in the Catholic Church right now and, and I'd love to share any my stories and my and my faith with people if they want to bring me to their parishes.
1: Wonderful. And we'd love to have you back on the show another time uh, to talk a little more about your book and your ministry uh, we've been talking today with Judy Klein, author of Miracle Man and founder of Memorari Ministries, found at com. Thank you so much uh, to, for being with us today, Judy.
2: Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. and God, God bless, bless all you. the listeners. You are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. Many
1: of you out there have heard of a new film that just came out on Easter. Perhaps you've even seen it already. It is called Heaven is for Real. It's a film starring Academy Award nominee Greg Kinnear. It's a true story uh, told in the number one New York Times bestseller of the same name about Todd Burpo and Sonia Burpo, who are a real-life couple whose son Colton claims to have visited heaven during a near-death experience. Colton recounts the details of his amazing journey with childlike innocence and speaks matter-of-factly about that he shouldn't have even known about because it happened before his birth. Colton reveals that he traveled extensively through Heaven, meeting dearly departed family members, luminaries of the faithful, including God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary. And Todd and his family are then challenged to re-examine the meanings of this remarkable event. Today we have a very special guest, Devon Franklin, the lead studio executive behind the film Heaven is for Real. Devon serves as the Vice President of Production for Columbia TriStar Pictures, a division of Sony Pictures Entertainment. He's been a part of many big-name films, including those that you've surely seen, such as the remake of The Karate Kid. He's worked on The Pursuit of Happiness, Hancock with Will Smith, just to name a few. In addition to his entertainment industry pursuits, Devon is also a preacher, a motivational speaker, and the author of Produced by Faith, a how-to guide about pursuing your career without compromising your faith. Uh, we welcome to the show today, Devon Franklin. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for uh, making some time in your schedule. I know things are pretty crazy uh, with the film going on. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the early successes that you've all been having with it just getting on the theaters. Oh, my goodness. It's been totally
0: amazing and totally an answer to prayer. Uh, you know, we opened uh, last Wednesday in time for Easter, and it's just been amazing to see how many millions of people have been blown away by the film. I mean, we our projections were to kind of originally open in the low teens, but for the five-day opening, we did $30 million almost, and it's just been incredible. So really, Amazing. really excited about the film and excited about the lives that the movie is touching. Uh, I think the story of Colton and what he saw is bringing hope to millions the same way that the book
1: did. Can you tell us a little bit about when you first heard of the story and when you were looking into the project what made you knew that uh, this was sort of a special story and what attracted you personally to it
0: you know when i
1: read the book I and mean, joe
0: raw who's one of the you know, biggest producers in hollywood he was the one that originally found the book and then he brought it into us and so when i read the book it was one of those rare occasions where i sat down in my office and i read the whole thing in one sitting mm. and that was a good indication to me that this is just a story we have to tell. To me personally, I was captivated by the mystery of what he saw. And I'm like, how is this possible? How did he know these things? And to be that young, you know, four years old, you know, he's not like you have a knowledge to make something up. You're just reporting what you <laughs> That's saw. That's right. You know, That's so right. you're you're an innocent vessel, just saying, hey guys, this is what I saw. Jesus has markers on his hand and his feet you know I mean all of these incredible things and so that for me is the mystery of it and the, the intrigue about it and how even though as I read it it's like one of those stories He's just like wow this is really affecting me and I felt like that the way that it affected me I wasn't alone in that it, it affected millions of people uh, sure. ultimately in terms of the book sales so it just is one of those stories after
1: putting it down it was evident that this is a story we had to tell and uh that's absolutely right. And I think you know, it appeals to people of all ages. And because he's young, uh, he's, he's that much more believable. Like you said, he has no agenda. Uh, he's, he has, has nothing from his past to go on to make up these stories. So it's pretty amazing. That's right. Um, that's right. And, uh, and I think it brings a message of hope uh, to people as well people who are worried about death, are worried about what happens next. Uh, it gives them yeah. a little bit of hope. Uh, so that's that's incredible um, now now tell us a little bit I, when I watch uh, many faith films uh, I like the message you know it's a message that resonates with me but I always walk away leaving a little bit empty in the sense that the production value is a little weak or the acting is uh, subpar uh, in this film it is top notch uh, from start to finish the production quality and the acting I think Greg Kinnear puts in a great performance can you tell us a little bit about the quality that, that came through in the
0: film. Yes, I and mean, it was, you know, I mean, this is truly one of our goals. Uh, you know, we had Brandon Wallace, who directed the film, he's an amazing director, he did Secretariat when we were soldiers, and he wrote Braveheart. And when we all, you know, got together, the quality of the film in this space was key. We, we didn't want to continue to, you know, put, you know, lower quality product in the market. You know, we feel like, uh, with products like this and stories like this, we wanted to have a team in place that could deliver as high a quality project as possible. So, Randall Wallace, as we mentioned, great senior, you know, Academy Award nominated actor, Margot Martindale's in the film, she uh, Emmy uh, Emmy Award winner, Rand, I mean, um, Dean Simler, who was the director of photography, he has won two Academy Awards. So we really made a lot of paid a lot of attention into the quality. You know, it's so important that, that films of faith are as competitive from a quality standpoint as anything else out there. And we were really, really happy with having this for Real because there so many people who came out of the film, not only are they moved by the movie, but they're also saying, wow, we really appreciate the quality of it. And I think the
1: quality also adds to the enjoyment of the film. Absolutely. And um, most, you know, many people have read the book, many people have seen the film already, but. Uh, can you give us just a brief synopsis of the story of Colton? Why is it something that, uh, that people are really uh, drawn to? Give us a little background on the story.
0: Yeah, the, the story um, of Colton, you know, Colton, uh, at the age of four, he's a young you know, child from Imperial Nebraska. His father, Todd Burpo, was a pastor, as well as a garage door installer and a firefighter. Uh, and so at the age of four, Colton uh, had a problem with his appendix, his appendix ruptured, the poison went all through his body. Uh, he went in for emergency surgery, and they didn't think that he was going to recover. Uh, Town ended up praying for Colton, and he miraculously recovered. Now, many people thought that's where the story ended, but it was actually where the story began, because as he came out of surgery, as he got better, he began to talk about things that there was no way that he could know. He talked about the angels singing to him in, in heaven. He talked about how when he was in the surgery room, he came up out of his body and could his mom in one room and his dad in the other room yelling at God, which was true. His father was really mad at God and asked God not to take his son, and Colton could see that. He talked about meeting his great-grandfather, who passed away uh, over 20 years before Colton was born. So as he starts doing these, these amazing revelations, Todd, who's the pastor and the father, is ch- it challenges his faith. So He's
1: like, how is it that my son can see this? But, but as Todd... He was, he was skeptical at first as well, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. everybody talked about skeptical. how, you know, the book was written and the movie was made. Are they promoting this? But this was something right. from the very beginning that he didn't want a part of or he didn't really believe. It. That's right. That's right. He was like, ah, he didn't... And that's what I love about the
0: movie and the book and the real-life Todd is that he's like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to believe this. I'm the pastor. I should think that this is awesome but I don't know if I believe it. So I love how even he as the father had to go on the journey of faith uh, and to, to figure out what it is he believes, because what his son said was so challenging. And ultimately what happened in real life is that as, the, as Todd began to tell Colton's story, people began to get healed, they began to find peace, it really began to resonate. And because he started telling his story locally, that's what ultimately gave him the courage tell it in the book Heaven is for Real and now ultimately in the movie Heaven is for Real.
1: And you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio program. Today I'm interviewing Devon Franklin, lead studio executive behind the new film Heaven is for Real. Devon, tell us, give give us an answer to a question that uh, the the film addresses, the book addresses, but I think everybody who is alive has the same question. What is Heaven like according to Colton? Uh, I know he describes a little bit of a feeling at home or feeling uh, God's oh, yeah. love with a bright smile. Yes. Or, or What, is, what does Colton impart to us about what
0: heaven is truly
1: like?
0: What Jesus just said is the number one takeaway from for me about Colton's description of heaven, which is he says you can steal God's love. You can steal the love that Jesus has for uh, his children. You can steal it. He said that, that it's, it's an indescribable... I, he's like, I'm trying to describe it, but I can't. It's like, you can just feel the love that God has for humanity, and that is one of the things that I take away from what he says, because I think ultimately we all do want to experience even more of God's love. You know, if we're, if we're looking for it, God's love is available to us all day, but ultimately to be in heaven and to experience that at the optimum level was the thing that really drew my attention. You know, he talked about God being, you know, massive and huge and so huge, it's hard to even describe how tall he is. Uh, he talked about, you know, the colors and everything is just so vivid. And in heaven, uh, it looks like, you know, a little bit like earth, but just much more uh, intense and much more colorful. So those are some of the, the, the physical descriptors. But the thing that I resonate with the most is just that that incredible feeling
1: of God's love. And um, he talks a lot about the connection with people. And I think that's what uh, a lot of people have a thirst for or long for. Those people have gone before us. They wonder if they're going to see them again. Uh, and uh, Colton talks about all these people who he met and reconnected with in heaven. Um, mm-hmm. One of the interesting scenes of the movie that I thought was when he's trying to explain to his father um, that he had seen his great-grandfather in heaven and he identified him in an old photograph uh, in which the great gran- grandfather looked uh, very young, yeah. and he makes the comment <laughs> that everyone in heaven is young. Uh, I thought that was kind of a, a fun point that, that he made, and yes. that, that caught me a little off guard. there. Yep. yes, yes, me too. I mean,
0: when you see that, and that that was also in the book, it was just like, how do you how do you explain that? You know, how do you explain that? Again, the grandfather, you know, died twenty years before, and that he didn't recognize the old picture, but the young picture said, there he is. So that that is just truly, I think, one of the captivating things about the story. And I think when you go back and you look at, okay, you know, God chose the Virpo family to deliver this message, and I think the message is, uh, in addition to heaven, it, in addition to the confirmation that heaven is for real, it's also, I think, and I hope, uh, a reason to live our life with more peace and more faith and more hope because the thing that we are afraid of, with this death, God is trying to tell us, don't be afraid. I am your God. I'm with you. I'm with you always. Relax. Enjoy what I'm giving you. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. And I, and I believe that is kind of the unspoken piece that this particular story is able to
1: impart. Absolutely. And I think, uh, for me, one of the things that really struck me was that you know, you, you go to a, a faith film or a religious film, and, and you know there's going to be a positive message that's sort of just a given, and uh, and oftentimes you go and you wonder if it's going to come off as too saccharine sweet, you know, too much, almost too much positivity. But this film takes a very realistic approach, in my opinion, in that it shows struggle and questions and pain, and it shows how the, the family works through those things, which are all very human and all we all deal with and Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that as as sort of a sub-theme of the movie? You know, we really, when you
0: look at what the Burkos uh, have gone through, you know, as a family, um, you know, just like any other family, you know, trying to make ends meet, doing the best to be, you know, good neighbors, good good community folks. And when you look at the movie, we really wanted to dramatize that here's a family just coping with this issue. And when you look at the mom who had the miscarriage, that was a pain that the family was dealing with and then also to almost lose their son and to come together and pull together as a family and as a community and really rally behind Colton and then ultimately rally behind his story. We wanted to preserve the integrity of that and we also wanted to make a film that was accessible by everyone. We did not want to make a movie that would feel exclusive, but we wanted to, to do a movie that would be inclusive. So anyone coming to it no matter their belief, could be drawn into the story because you can relate ultimately to the family and what they go through. So it was very important to make Todd and Sonia and Cassie and Colton in the film as relatable as possible, and also the dilemma of the father, Todd. We wanted to make sure that everyone could understand why he was so challenged at what Colton was saying, yet root for him to find peace and resolution about that issue. And that, I think, was one of the key elements to making the movie feel as universal as it is, because you're really drawn into the emotion and the drama of what's taking place.
1: Absolutely. And I think um, that's a very key point, that the film is universal. Uh, of course, it, uh, it it attracts people who have sort of a, a faith background or a religious background or are interested in the subject matter, but really, it's it's a film for everyone, uh, anyone who's had these questions. um, can you tell us a little bit of the feedback you've gotten perhaps from uh, atheists or non-believers who uh, you know, might not be so open to this, but when they see such a moving film like Heaven is for Real, they might uh, open their eyes. Can you talk, talk, talk about a little bit of the, the response you've gotten to the film?
0: Yes. I mean, you know, what, great question. Uh, one of the screens that, uh, that we hosted, there was a, a woman in the audience, and she said, you know, I call myself a lapsing atheist. Okay. She said that every, every time, you know, I want to just completely give up a belief. Every time I want, to, every time I want to, to just say there's no God, something happens that challenges my belief. And she said tonight, when she saw the movie, she said, this is one of those nights. She mm. said that this film has totally, you know, begun to chip away at my cynicism about who God is and about his love for us. And when I look at the movie, she said, you know, Todd was an angel, you know, and the community members were angels. And how about that? That actually, you know, there there are angels all around us, you know, people that are there to help other people. We don't always look at it like that, you know. And she said, for the first time, I really can see the concept of heaven here on earth and God's love available to all of us. And she, you know, I mean, literally blew, blew us all away. And so this is just one of the testimonies of, of someone who, you know, again, she called herself. This is this is her word. Called herself a lasting atheist,
1: and and the movie really was was calling her to believe. That that's incredible, and I'm sure that it's just one of many stories of people who have seen the film, and uh, it really it really brings into question what they believe or the doubts they have. So, um, right now, now this this uh, occurrence uh, with Colton when he was four years old, happened some years ago. He's grown up a little bit since then, and yes. obviously with, uh, they've had incredible success in getting their story out uh, through the book, uh, through the film, and through other you know, uh, outreach to ministry. Um, can you talk a little bit about how all this success or all, uh, this, this whole event has changed Colton? Um, what, what is he like mm-hmm. now as he's grown up? What is his life or faith
0: Oh, man, it, I, I don't think it's changed him at all. You know, I mean, I just, we, we just, uh, we're in New York together, and, and he's talking about, oh, Devon, can you give me an new spider man you know? <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he's just yep. a, a, you know, a normal teenager, you know, dealing with teenage, you know, issues and whatnot. I mean, but he, he doesn't seem to be faced by any of this. Um, you know, he's really, really cool, and, you know, he, he wants me. Uh, I went out to Imperial right after I uh, bought the book, to hang with the family for a couple of days, and, and we were playing um, Super Mario Kart on, on Nintendo yeah, right. with uh, him and uh, his younger brother um, Colby. And he was like, Devon, you got to come back out. We want to beat you again. <laughs> so, you know, just totally cool. Yeah, it sounds like you've gotten to know the family quite well through the whole process there. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. They're, they're very cool,
1: and, and Colton is, is extremely down there. And you're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio program. Today, I am interviewing Devon Franklin, who's the lead studio executive behind the film Heaven is for Real. Now, Devon, um, this film sort of is a part of a growing trend uh, of faith faith found in films. Uh, I see we have a number of movies coming out uh, in the recent past and in the future uh, regarding faith. What can you tell us a little bit about this trend and, and what, Heaven is for Real, how it plays a role in in upping that trend? Um, I mean, the trend is is amazing. I mean, this year from,
0: you know, Son of God to God Not Dead to Noah to now, the success of Heaven is for Real, uh, it's fantastic to see that films of faith are working. And what's so important about this is that it's not just an issue of, it's not just a, a great that the films are being made, right? You can make a film, but what if no one sees it? what's happening is the audience, and not just, you know, the faith-based movie-going audience, but even the mainstream is, is acknowledging and saying that we want more films like this. We want more films that can address spirituality, that can bring us hope for our deepest needs, that can, you know, be an option for us to go see in the theater the same way that, that we can go see Spider-Man. We also want other films that can tap into you know, our belief system, and so I love the fact that just this year alone from a, from a domestic box office standpoint, you know films of space, I think have generated uh, well over 200 I think almost 250 million dollars at the domestic box office and oh. we're only in April right So I think it's a yep. huge validation of the audience saying we want more and we need more and when you give us a film that's authentic that we can that, that touches us we're going to show up and we're going to let everybody know about it. And I think that is what, you know, the takeaway is for me, is that, you know, it's a matter of seeing what the audience wants. So thankful, because I believe in these type of films forever, and so it's really good to see finally that they're beginning to meet the success that all of us believe they can have, and I think it's on all of us to
1: keep the momentum going. Absolutely. That's very well put. And uh, I, I can tell by the list of films that you've worked on, and uh, you're the author of the book Produced by Faith, which is a how-to guide about pursuing your career without compromising your faith, uh, that faith plays a big role in, in your uh, career personally. It's not just something that, that you appreciate or that you like, but you actually bring, you bring to the industry and bring to the job. Give us just one, one little right. bit on your, in, your, how your faith actually Im, impacts your work. I mean, I, uh, as a Christian, you know, growing up, I
0: mean, people were, were very skeptical when I would tell them that I wanted to go into Hollywood. And they said, Oh, you can't do that. You know, you're going to have to compromise your faith and who you are. And I just said, I don't believe that. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to walk by faith, uh, you know, not by sight. And, and that the Lord didn't give the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So coming into Hollywood, you know, I just said, Hey, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. This is what I believe. You know, but at the same time, while still being vocal, I put in the work. You know, I mean, I started as an, as an intern working for Will Smith and rushed for 17 years, you know, working my way up every single day. And when it comes to faith for me, faith has been my competitive advantage because there have been times when I've had to believe God's promise to my life, even when I didn't see it. I had to believe that I could find a way in this business as a Christian, even when I wasn't sure. I had to believe that certain movies would work when I had no evidence. With heaven is for real. It's like, I, I believe in this book. I believe that it can work, but there's no guarantee. Every movie is a risk. This movie is no exception, and and so for me personally, to be a Christian, to be very vocal about that, to have written a book called Produced by Faith, and then to have a movie in the marketplace, you know, I'm I'm having the faith, okay, God, I'm praying this is going to work, I pray it Mm -hmm. is, you don't know. But but faith for me has been the thing that has given me peace uh, when things have been crazy or disruptive or very, very tenuous. It's the thing that has given me hope. It's the thing that has driven me, you know, believing and knowing that God is the director of my life, is the director of my story. That has been the thing that has really helped me make it through. I mean, I talk about it all the time. I say faith works, you know. You guys may not believe it, but it absolutely works. And so I just, I think that when you look at all the things God has been doing, specifically through my life or career, my hope and prayer that there is evidence or even the non-believer that faith actually works.
1: Wow, that that is great testimony. I think for everyone, bringing uh, their faith to their workplace is important uh, to inspire them. So that is that is good stuff. And uh, uh, tell tell audiences one more time here: uh, the movie is Heaven is for Real. Why should people see it? It's out in the theaters now. What what's going to bring them uh, into the theater to see the show? You've got to see Heaven is For Real. I mean,
0: truly, it is a sensation uh, that is sweeping the country. We have been the number one movie all week long, and we're ready for our second weekend, which I think is also going to surprise and shock Hollywood. Why should you see it? Because the story is going to make you laugh. It's going to make you cry. It's going to make you love your family. It's going to make you hug your your children, your, your husband, your wife. I mean, this is a film that you walk out of, feeling better than the way you went in. And the experience of the film, I promise, is going to warm your heart, but at the same time it's going to bring you peace. It's going to bring you confidence, it's going to bring you joy. It is an experience like very few you can ever experience at the movie theater. but so this is why you should see it and tell your friends, you know tell your church groups, you know your family, bring them all. Let let Hollywood know one more weekend that we want more films like this, because the more these films work, the more films there will be
1: at the box office. Absolutely. I couldn't have put it better myself. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Devon, for joining us today. And um, and best of luck on the film. I think it's going to continue to be a big hit. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I truly, truly appreciate it. All right. You've been listening to the Miracle Hunter radio program. Uh, We've been talking with Devon Franklin, the lead studio executive behind the film, Heaven is for Real, go out and see this film. Uh, It's a good one, and I think you'll really be inspired. So uh, check out the film Heaven is for Real. And we've still got the Catholic pub trivia answer, uh, but I'll just review the question with you. St. John Paul II was the third longest reigning pope behind St. Peter, and what other pope? The answer was Pius IX, who was in from 1846 to 1878, that's 31 years, Pope John Paul II was in for 26 years. So thanks for calling in uh, with your answers to that question. Uh, for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. And that's all the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank our guest Judy Klein, author of Miracle Man, and Devon Franklin, lead executive from the film Heaven is for Real, for joining us on the show. Be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and to keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. Thank you for joining me on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt.
0: You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.